Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Naoni, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship and advancement. As I've been thinking about the topic of investing in the future, I thought who else to get to join me than my friend, uh, Dennis Bonilla, who's the Dean of Wiley Education Services. And he's known as a evangelist in all things education and training for folks. So Dennis, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your uh, show. I'm really excited to be here with you. Absolutely. You know, you are you, you are somebody who I admire in your career and the things that you have done. And uh, my goal here was to examine the, today's uh, subject matter, which is the future of work, uh, preparing the, the team of the future, so to speak. Um, I was very intrigued by what you all are doing with Wild Education Services. And so I thought, you know what? Let's just have a conversation because as we know, every industry needs talent to succeed. Currently, the strategy is to hire candidates with a basic university degree at a minimum, but we all know that what is taught at a university is not necessarily what's applicable. There are many folks that go in, they get out and try to get a job in the industry and they realize that this does not work for us. I wasted four years, five years, you name it. That brings us to our conversation today. When I heard you assumed uh, your role as dean, I said, well, I'm very intrigued by what is going on here. And uh, this is somebody who has worked for major corporation, your Oracle University, your Microsoft, name it. So let's dive into it. What is the Wiley Edge Academy and how did this concept develop? Well, you know, I'm hoping that most of you know who Wiley is. Wiley is an education, research and publishing company that has been around for 215 years. Think about that. That's a long, continuous time to be uh, in, in a business, and that means it's gone undergone many transformations during that time. And obviously, in its current sort of form, it really is focusing on unlocking human potential, driving the knowledge economy. And the way it's doing that is really through a couple of ways. One, it has a huge research and publication arm, scientific research, probably one of the leading scientific research and publishing companies in the world and driving researchers to be able to produce the research, but also make it accessible to those who need it, not just those who can pay for it. On the other side of the business, the side of the business that I'm in, we're focusing on a connected workforce, connecting education to the workforce. You know, what are employers and corporations and small businesses and medium-sized businesses looking for in terms of talent? And how do we make them transition from whatever educational path they've taken? Many of them are college graduates. Some of them are community college graduates. Some of them are certificate graduates. There's so many different pathways that they can take. But the problem is for many, they don't have access to great jobs. And that's because yes. many of the Fortune 100 companies you know, have places that they go to to find their talent. And everybody goes to the same top ranked universities, et cetera. 
we work with the Fortune 50, 100, 500 companies and find them alternate talent, you know, talent that's out there as good as the talent that they've been finding, but much more diverse, much more from underrepresented minorities, underrepresented groups. And we bring them to, to these employers. But what we do is the Wiley Edge Academy, like you said, not a lot of times when you graduate from college, are you really ready for the job on day one, right? You know, some financial institution hires you, let's say a major financial institution in New York, you just finished college. And the last thing you know is how to be professional at that job, what to oh, do yeah. in that job, how to be really you know, productive in that job on day one. The research has shown that it takes sometimes six months to a year for somebody to be productive on the job. We turn that all around. We take these college graduates, we hire them as our employees, and depending on the job role that they're going to be going to, we send them through six to 12 weeks of training at the academy, all day, immersive, working on projects, working as they would work in that institution, on teams, working on projects together, working on critical thinking skills, working on technical skills. And at the end of that, what I call finishing school period, we then place them at their employer. They're still our employees, but we actually then place them at an employer site for up to a year or two. The employer doesn't have to train them because we train them on the technology stack that the employer has. The employer doesn't have to train them on the processes or procedures. We've already done that. We train them on the job role skills that they want this person to have. So on day one, they're immediately productive. After a year or two of being our employees on the site, the employer has the option to convert them to full-time employees. So now they've taken all the risk out of somebody, whether they're going to work out or not, whether the culture is going to fit, whether they're going to be really you know, capable of executing. They've had a year or two to see their performance. We continue to train them over that year or two. We're still responsible for them. There are employees. And at the end of that year or two, depending on the contract length, they convert to the employer. Now, for us, we launched their career. We helped them get to jobs that they would not have access to unless they were coming through our pathway. And so it's a real game changer. Over about 90% of the people we place at these employer sites, I'm talking about top-notch financial services, top-notch insurance, top healthcare companies, over 90% of them convert to an employer job at that point, at the, at the end of their contract period. So works out great. Now we have somebody that's been our employee for two years. We've polished them. We continue to train them. They perform great at that particular employer. And now they're in you know, supervisory roles, mid-level manager roles. They're launching their career at that employer and everybody wins. You know, that is very, very intriguing to me because one of the challenges that we have in higher education uh, advancement in particular is that oftentimes we're looking for somebody who's proven, who has uh, worked in our environment in, in, in advancement, but we don't find those. So, you know, when we, and I've worked at all so many different institutions, when we talk about onboarding programs, onboarding programs are half-baked. They don't really go into the total holistic training of, you know, employees. And so I'm very intrigued by this 12-week concept and how, you know, as we look, as we look at our field, how we may look at something like that. Maybe we just uh, identified a new uh, business line for Wiley here and saying, hey, you know, here we have a field where the demand for talent exceeds supply. So how do we take people who have an education but have zero background in what we do on a daily basis serving institutions of higher learning, 
put them through a similar kind of program that they can then be up to speed. So where when recruiters are coming out and trying to hire these folks, you can place them at some of the top institutions and institutions uh, uh, that have a need as a whole. So I'm really, you know, you got me thinking here about, hey, you know, this, there's some good things that we can do. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's really having somebody feel like they're ready for a role and are prepared. That's why I call it sometimes I call the academy finishing school, right? We're taking a diamond in the rough that has had obviously a great college education and not always will the college prepare them for the type of technology roles or the type of technology stack that they may have because, you know, the colleges don't operate at the same industry speed, right? So the industry operates at a faster speed. Technology changes quickly. And what you need is really that, you know, that sort of, hey, let's get you up to speed on that technology stack, on those policies, that culture, how they work there. And let's make you ready so on day one, you don't feel like you're lost in the woods. And, you know, this onboarding part, like you said, I think it's a great, great opportunity to sort of close that gap from, you know, finishing sort of the diamond in the rough and then finishing and getting you ready to be a stellar, stellar performer on day one. I'm almost thinking instead of uh, doing a six week onboarding or, you know, two weeks, some places you go, here's who we are. Here are the policies. Here's how we do annual giving. Here's how we do this kind of giving. Here's how we engage corporates. I'm also thinking that, you know, we could blow this thing up and say, hey, what? We work with, you know, an organization like yours and develop a 12 week program that is going to get people up to speed like that and can be scaled from an institution uh, that's large, very flush of resources to an institution that doesn't have that so that we're able to take our recent graduates from a particular institution, put them through that program, and then they go straight to work. And so we the uptake time for that institution is much quicker because even with us, you know, advancement is sort of the business side of uh, higher learning. And so we tend to move slightly faster than most of other places. And so something like that, I see having great application and really helping us reimagine what the future of advancement is going to look like, you know? So that leads me to my, my other question here is, how do you see the Wiley Edge Academy transforming the way students prepare for, for jobs of the future? I think you, you talked about it a little bit here but let's just get into it, into that a little bit more and unpack. Well, you know, you know what's, what's really interesting, I think, is companies are struggling with what are the skills that I need for the future workforce, right? Including their own people. So, you know, I've talked about how we train college graduates and get them ready for their job on day one. But we also now are training, reskilling and upskilling existing employees at the customer site in those skills that maybe have eroded over time, or maybe they haven't kept up with it and stayed relevant in terms mm -hmm. of the technologies and the skills that they need to stay relevant for the future. So we work with these corporations to try to understand, you know, where are their employees today? You know, baseline everybody. Where do you need, uh, what are the skills that you need in the future? You know, how can we help prepare the emerging talent that's coming out for that? But how can we also prepare for intermobility of your own team so that maybe those that don't have those skills that are needed in the future, we can help impart those skills on them in a very different way than we do at an immersive academy because, you know, people who have a job don't have six to 12 weeks to just go off and take off and, and be immersed in the academy. So we space it out over 10 months, over 12 months, 
you know, a day a week, two days a week, some self-directed learning, some facilitated learning, but get them so that they stay relevant to their role. You know, now that you've had them and they've been your employees, they're cultural fits, right? You've invested so much time and energy in them. The last thing you want to do is see them go out the door because either you're not taking care of their needs from a professional development perspective, or they see themselves as being irrelevant and say, well, my skills are not progressing. I need to go find somebody who's going to take the time to invest in me and keep me relevant, even though I may love working there, but I'm not making it myself, you know, sort of sustainable for future employment. So there are really two tracks that we focus on and the reskill and upskill are two parts that are getting much more traction as we work around assessments of the current skill base, assessments of the future skills. We do assessments to sort of figure out what's the gap. Everybody might be at a different level, so everybody doesn't have to take everything. And we create these personalized learning paths so that somebody can get through it at a pace that makes sense for them with the content and the knowledge that they need to receive with application. It's all about applying the job. So for us, even in the academy, it's not about Mm -hmm. knowledge transfer. It's about knowledge transfer with application. How are you gonna actually do this on the job? So we actually, in many of our classes, I've now started doing daily stand-ups, the same way you would find on a technology team at a job. Two-week sprints, right? Let's work on two-week sprints. Let's do two-week assignments. So everything becomes, so nothing becomes foreign. When you get to the job, all of a sudden you say, well, gee, I never worked on a two-week sprint. I never worked (laughs) on a scrum. I never worked with a with a you know Trello board. I didn't do any of that stuff. And now everybody's working in this agile framework and I've never been exposed to it. We expose you and make you work and apply it all in that space. It can be for existing employees, older employees, or emerging talent. It really works for everybody. You know, one of the things I love about you know, the, the the corporate corporate mindset is the the ability and the uh sort of the inclination to always innovate, to always think about how can we do something better in real time and just make it happen? Less less pondering and more acting. And you know, as, as you're talking here, I hope our audience is listening to us and can see the perils. I mean, when you talk about sprints, we do sprints when we're when we're about to implement new software, new CRM. We right. have specific sprints for specific purposes. You know, one sprint will be we're dealing with uh, with the legalities and the rules and regulations on how we're going to manage, uh, you know, the data that we collect or things like that. So when you get in that mindset, you have a sprint, you know, this is two weeks. That's my goal. About two weeks, you're going to be here. It, 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 it makes you accountable. You know, there's some accountability there in terms of, of your learning. And I can think about in our field as we're getting people not just to learn about what they're doing now, preparing for the future. One of the challenges we have is that we lose a lot of people within that first three years. Somebody comes to University X and they're working in advancement. They really enjoy the work, but they feel stale. Oh, I, I, I really, I'm not growing. I'm not learning something new. That could be learning new, new programs. You know, for instance, we have these donor experience officer positions that rely on leveraging technology to engage people virtually and and, and also uh, really build the pipeline of non-traditional students who may want to support us and invest money. That's concepts like that are not embraced readily, but it's something that if we can have a program that can adopt the things that you're talking about that you do to prepare folks to go work in industry, apply that to what we're doing, then it could be of benefit to all of us. I mean, 
we work in advancement, we work in higher education, we tend to move very methodical step by step. But as part of the leadership teams, uh, you know, that I've been that I've been in at different institutions and in our industry as a whole, every time we get together, we sit down and are wondering, okay, so what's the future going to be? How do we prepare to adapt to the changing environment? You know, most of our the future state of institutions is that our traditional our traditional student body is evolving. You know, you are getting more and more people who are decide to upscale. I'm going to go to, I'll pick on ASU, ASU uh, Global, and I'm going to study there, get my MBA, name it. But by the time I leave there, I have a very different experience than somebody went there four years and, uh, you know, has been to Mill Ave and knows what Mill Ave is about, has that part in the, you know, experience in the fraternity, sorority, you name it, that's different. So uh, as I'm looking at this, the traditional ways of how we engage donors and fundraise that rely on alumni engagement are not going to be effective. They're not going to be effective because the landscape is shifting. And all of the other side of it is the perceived value of higher education is also shifting. As we talked about, there are many folks who went to school and afterwards they got that degree X and were having a hard time getting a job. So yes. with that in mind, I want to know what your thoughts are and how we can we can sort of evolve what we do to deal with our customers who are the corporations, the alumni, all those folks that we engage with the institutions. And, uh, and also from a leadership perspective, helping us to design programs that can mentor the fundraisers of the future. Well, you know, I think what you're describing there is what I would call establishing an ecosystem, right? I think in the past, we have never thought about the parts of education, corporation, fundraising, all it's all part of an ecosystem that needs to be connected and needs to be sort of working together towards common goals. So for instance, you know, when I think about the ecosystem of higher education and corporate employers and, and, and what I would call, alter, you know, the, uh, the alternate students, right? We used to call them, you know, at University of Phoenix, which I work for, which was, you know, groundbreaking when they created, you know, Hey, we're going to go for first generation students who are working adults. They have a whole different need in terms of, like you mentioned, the experience at ASU versus ASU Global, right? My daughter, who just recently started college, she's on campus, right? She's actually experiencing yep. the campus life. But, you know, ASU has had the largest increase in students in their history, but they also had the largest increase in online students who are going and not being on campus, but are doing it virtually. This is a whole ecosystem. They have to satisfy both those that are on campus and want the campus experience and want that sort of four-year, five-year, six-year, whatever that college term is. And then you have the, the working That's adult right. who says, hey, I'm just trying to finish my degree. I started years ago. I, you know, I got halfway done. I want to finish. I want to change and impact the, you know, the arc of the life of my family. I want to be able to get better opportunities. I want to get promotions at work. And I don't have time to have that experience, nor do I need it. I need a different track. I need to go at a pace that's different. I need, but I need to be part of an ecosystem that understands my customer needs versus the customer needs of those that are coming in from, you know, the normal high school pathway. And as we know, the demographics for those who are entering high school and going to college are decreasing quite dramatically. I mean, just the demographics are changing, right? 
the birth rate has gone down. The number of students going to college has gone down. Yet the number of, of working adults that are out there that want to better themselves continues to increase, but they need the non-traditional pathways. And that's, you know, that's the beauty, I think, of many of the universities that now have understood that that ecosystem has to solve it for multiple customers. They're not homogenous. They all have different needs. They need different support systems. You know, if you're a first generation college student whose parents didn't go to college, they may not understand all the dynamics of, you know, college debt and college loans and how do I pay for this? Nope. Now employers know, hey, if I want to attract great people, I'm going to help them pay for college. In fact, I'm going to pay for their college so they don't come out of college with debt. So many of the programs that you're seeing now are not what traditionally in the past would have been uh, employer tuition reimbursement programs that said, oh, we'll give you up to $5,250 in tax credit dollars for you to go get this. They don't want to have to put out $5,200 a year and get reimbursed at the end of the year. They don't have the money to do that. So that's stopping them from doing that. Now employers realize, you know what? It's not tuition assistance. It's tuition. I'm paying for it. We're, we're taking care of yep. all the back end stuff. There's no expense reports to be sending in. I'm going to make it so easy for you to focus on your career, on getting the advancement you want, and doing it in the way that makes the most sense for you. If you can do it and go on campus, if there's a campus convenient to you, that's great. If there isn't, then you go online. If you can do a blend, you can do that. So, so this whole ecosystem has evolved to a way that higher education institutions, employers, and the students have all figured out that there is a way that this can all coexist for the benefit of all that makes sense. And really, everybody has to adapt. Employers have adapted. Students have adapted. And, right. higher, and many higher education institutions, I think, are doing a good job adapting. Not all of them, right? Some think that it's not my job to make you career ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that, 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 my that. job is to make you a better citizen or, or more sort of, you know, uh, a whole a holistic student experience. But those that understand, people want to be ready for jobs. They want to be ready for good paying jobs. They want to be ready to advance their careers and they want to be ready to provide better opportunities for their families and their children and the children of their children. So it's all different. It's, I mean, it's much different than when you and I went to college. Totally, totally different than it was, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Absolutely. You know, the way I like to think about it is that a broke graduate is not a happy graduate. A broke graduate is not, is not somebody who's going to come and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, rah, rah, this, rah, rah, that. Because they're looking at it and saying, man, I spent five years of my life, I owe $100,000, and I'm here making less than somebody flipping burgers somewhere, you know, or somebody working at a bar. And uh, then they have to go and, and, and upskill and try to do different things later on. So if we can preempt that, then, you know, we, we, we're doing something. So one of, one of the things that was really intriguing to me, you know, we talked about diversity earlier, was that a recent study by uh, from uh, one of your uh, Wiley reports on diversity in tech found that more than 53% of Gen Z tech employees said they aspire to one day be in a senior leadership position, including 57% of women. So from that perspective, we, even in our field of advancement, need to ensure that our team members are given the tools, resources, and environment to succeed. And creating an environment to succeed 
is absolutely critical to the success of any organization, whether you're a for-profit, not-for-profit, you name it. So as we talk about that, what are your thoughts about creating such an environment? Because we struggle with that mightily in creating that environment where I look at you, Dennis, you're a, a junior team member. I know you want to be in senior leadership. Yeah, just do your job. Raise more money. You know, go and engage more people. You do that. That'll be great. But we all know that that's not the route to become a leader. I mean, yes, numbers do matter. We're going to see that you're productive. But if the other intangible things are not are not uh, taught or you're not exposed to, you're going to be a, a lousy leader. I mean, the people skills, the managing up, down, left, right, understanding the uh, the industry you're in, just the, they used to call them the soft skills, but I'll give credit to Simon Sinek, he called them the people skills, the human mm -hmm. skills. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, I love that you quote that report because in addition to that report that you quoted, we're just getting ready to publish our second diversity, equity, inclusion report in tech for, uh, for, uh, for Gen Z students. And what's unfortunate is when that report comes out and you, uh, I did a briefing on it today is not many things have improved from last year in terms of the environment for these Gen Z you know, employees where they say, you know, I'm not really feeling I'm that welcome at work as much yeah. as they talk about it. I'm not really feeling that they really care about my advancement and my leadership skills and the things that I need to be successful. So there's a lot of talk about it. People you know, have, have given it a lot of talk, but not many organizations are walking the talk, unfortunately. And I think the, the other problem is, you know, when I came out of my MBA program, you know, I thought I had really good, what I would call people skills. But when I came out of my MBA program, this was, you know, 20 years ago, people skills were not valued at all. In fact, I would say that people skills were sort of seen as you're too soft. You care too much about the people. Yeah. And I care about the PL and the bottom line. And now it's flipped. Whereas if you're not an empathetic leader, and Simon Sinek does a great job about talking about the why and, and the purpose and if you're not empathetic and understand the human condition, you will never be a great leader. So we need to let people understand that it's okay to be empathetic. It's okay to want to sort of put yourselves in the shoes of others and understand what is it that they're going through? What is their journey? How can you help them become better leaders by understanding the circumstances that they're in and giving them the opportunities to thrive based on their journey? Not on the journey you think is the right journey. It's what is their right. journey? Everybody's journey right. is different. And when you have to nurture that, you have to cultivate it. You have to plant the seeds that it's okay to be vulnerable at work. For instance, women in tech, we find that many of them are afraid to sort of seek promotions because they feel, oh, I'm not as good in math or science, or I'm not as good at leaning in. Well, the reality is they're better at math and science, but nobody has given them the confidence to be able to express yourself in an assertive manner, lean in stronger. It's okay to go for that brass ring. By the way, the next job is not the job that has to be, you have to be perfect, be ready for it. In fact, I would say you should always be reaching for that job that, you know, you can do 80% of it and you're going to learn the other 20% of it. Nobody is really ready for that next rung. But you have to be able to seize it, take that brass ring, 
and, and put yourself in a situation to succeed. So leadership, empathy, business skills, soft skills, people skills, however you want to define them, are absolutely essential. And if people are not getting that, they're leaving. They're finding, I'm leaving because my leader doesn't understand my journey. My leader doesn't understand what makes me happy at work. There's this great book by Marcus Buckingham that came out recently called Love Plus Work. And he talks about if you don't have at least two or three things that you love doing in your current job, doesn't have to be everything. But if your leader doesn't understand what are the things that you're really good at, what are the things that you really love to do and puts you in a position to sort of really flourish on that, even though you might not like the other 30% of what you have to do, but 70% of it you love, that's great. But if you have 0% of what you love and you're in a job that gives you absolutely no satisfaction or sort of, you know, fulfillment, it's a dead end. You're going to leave. And now you've wasted that person's time and opportunity. You wasted the opportunity to give them the opportunity to do on the things they love and understand your team. And everybody on your team is very different. So I think a leader really has to understand what makes their team tick at a real sort of visceral level and be vulnerable with them so they can be vulnerable with him or her so that they can really understand how do I, how do I help you most be the leader you want to be? And for me, I always say a leader's job is to, is to create leaders who can create more leaders, right? So if you don't have that Absolutely. sustainability, you got to. I mean, you're really not a great leader. I often say you have to think of succession planning at all times. When, I, when I'm recruiting people to join my team, I'm thinking about who's going to be the one to replace me when I'm yes. when it's time for me to go because we all have a shelf life. And so I'm not doing a great service for the organization. If I'm just thinking about my, my situation and, hey, I'm retiring or I'm moving on, I'm done. And so I try to think about who can I bring in that is going to be the next. And who can I bring in that's going to be the rock star salesperson, right? Who's going to deliver, has no interest in running anything. They want to move right. the product, you know, who's who's my top researcher that I can bring in who can run, uh, you know, that side of them. Who's a, the, you know, the person in finance uh, from a CFO perspective or uh, in our world, we process gifts and we manage that fiduciary side of our business. And so who can I bring in that can be the best leader in that arena and what kind of program going back to what we started earlier what can we create and and leverage to 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 sort of bring them up to speed whether it's upskilling whether it's uh some lateral ex exposures that need to have to be a well-rounded team member i mean th these are these are things that I, I i tell my colleagues all the time unless you're thinking about that you're not doing a great service to your organization so i really appreciate some of the things that you all are doing and We've been in a pandemic, still ongoing, albeit in a mild, in, in a mild fashion. You know, we're not having the challenges of the closures that we had early on. But the pandemic has really shifted the, the, the way we think about things in higher education as well as industry. Lots of work from home. Lots of teams that are spread around the country. I have colleagues who have worked with that live in Seattle, colleagues that live in New Mexico. And they are just as effective. And then to tell you, you know what, we have a better work-life balance. And we really, really love that. The fact that we can work at 6 a.m. till, uh, you know, 1 p.m., be able to mix in family time, you know, go on, a, go, go on a hike, whatever, go to the beach, and then come back and do it again. 
So it's mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's completely disrupted the industry. Now, in advancement, especially in higher education, we're still trying to figure out how to embrace this whole uh, notion of, of uh, remote working and the new reality and being able to build camaraderie. How do you, I, I was talking to a colleague of mine last week, and he works at an institution that has, for the first time, has adopted a remote working model for their regional team. So they have people all over the country, somebody in Hawaii, somebody in Seattle, somebody in DC that are based locally using dig digital tools to engage folks globally and within those markets. So now their challenge is how do we onboard them and how do we ensure they have the same experience and they can embrace who we are from afar. So talk, talk, talk about technology. I mean, this is your realm, you know, you, you know, from, from you, University of Phoenix to, to what you're doing, what are your thoughts about how they can be able to, to, to mentor those, those folks? Well, yeah, I, I think you, know, you hit on a great point. So for instance, at the Academy, I have teams in Australia, Singapore, China, India, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, the UK, Canada, and North America. Nobody on my team works in an office. Everybody now works remote. And all our instruction is done virtually live, remote, or blended, or whatever. So I think, you know, part of the challenge is, as a leader, I have to believe and trust my team, right? Because I don't see right. them every day. So right. there has to be a level of trust that's established in terms of how they're executing on their day. And, you know, you gave the example, you're going from six to one. Well, I start at four and I'm usually done by two because by two, my East Coast team is gone and my West Coast team has started as early as I did and they're ready to call yeah. it quits. And, you know, that's a mindset shift that is not necessarily embraced by all leadership at all levels, right? That level no, of no, trust, are they, really, are they really working? You know, and, you know, I think there's a lot of research that's going on around our remote workers, those that are in remote positions, are they being unjustly or not treated fairly in terms of promotion and opportunities because they're not at the office every day with the typical gang of people that are maybe coming into the office every day, right? Also, some people say, well, those are the real producers and everybody who's working remote, like Elon Musk said, well, nobody's working remote. Well, let me tell you, you can't build a yeah. car remote. I understand that but I can execute a global academy remotely and do it well. And all my students are remote and nobody is in an office location and we're using technology and we've changed the technology. We've changed the engagement model. We've changed the instructional model. We work a lot with augmented reality, virtual reality. We do a lot of stuff in, in immersive technologies. I mean, all those things are contributing to like you and I, even though you're in Florida and I'm here in uh, in Scottsdale, I feel like we're almost in the same room, right? It hasn't been that strange of an experience, right? Even though we're no, both no, not, not in the same room, right? So it can be engaging, but the leaders have to trust that you've empowered your people and they're doing the right things. And you can see it based on their productivity, on the output of the work, the quality of the work, the engagement levels. There's all sorts of tools and instruments that let you know if they're really engaged or not. But people, for the most for the most part, don't want to come back and leave and leave their home environment and go work in an office and spend one or two hours in traffic and one or two hours coming out in traffic and not being able to go to their kids after school, athletic activities or going to the parent-teacher conference. People have figured out 
how to manage and harmonize their work and life balance very well. And the last thing they want to do is now you're going to upset it and change it around and force me <laughs> to waste my day when I figured out how to optimize my day, right? So it's a very interesting no, I mean, dynamic. It, I, I don't think it's ever going to go back to where it was before, ever. No, not at all. I mean, I, I recall the days when I worked at UC Berkeley and I lived in San Francisco. So I could see my house 12, you know, 12 miles away. I could see, yeah, that's the Excelsior right there. I'm stuck on the Bay Bridge for an hour and a half to two hours. No cars moving. Then you yep. start thinking about what happens if this thing collapses over here, man. It's going to be bad. <laughs> and so you're, you're, you're wasting two, four hours a day on the road. And now my colleagues over there, that that uh, that institution, most of them work from home four days a week, three days a week at times. Mm -hmm. And the quality of life, that's four hours I'm not wasting sitting in traffic on one-on-one. That's four hours I'm putting in my work, I'm, I'm rebalancing my life, I'm spending time with kids if I have any or the significant other. And that does contribute to longevity, but in our industry, we are still struggling with what does that look like? Oh, maybe at some point we'll get back to, to what we used to do and say, it, it ain't coming back. And Gen Z in the future, you know, I don't know what they call them now. Is it Gen Z, Gen, Gen U, whatever, whatever these guys were in college and ladies were in college right now and the ones that just graduated the past five years, they're asking for a different environment. They're asking for you yes. to, to care about them as human beings and what understand what their passions are and put them in a position to be successful. And they want to find meaning in that work. So if when they're joining us, they want exactly. purposeful organizations. Exactly. Why am I working for Wiley? I'm working for Wiley because we're making an impact around the world. I know, exactly. I see it, I sense it. It's important for people to know what the purpose in their job is because they dedicate so much time, energy, and and brain power and to it that they want it to be meaningful work. Absolutely. So as we, as we wind down here, our conversation, you and I could go about the, uh, you know, all, all and on and on and on, because we're very passionate about this, uh, this subject, but a number of key takeaways I like our listeners to, to get from this. We, you know, we've sort of talked at a high level and somebody listening and say, okay, that was a lot, you know, about upscaling and about all these kind of things. What are the, we know as a, as, as somebody trying to grow in my field, what should I take away from that? As a manager, what should I take away from this, you know, Wiley Academy and the approach that they have, that they're proprietized? How do I look at that as something that I may be able to work with Wiley? I may, I mean, and talk to them about implementing something for our industry. And to me, that 12 week uh, program that you talked about in, in, the, in the early stage of preparing folks who are trying to trade one skill to another. It could be somebody who's working in the research side of our operation and now wants to go frontline. And how do you get them ready? Typically we don't, we just stick you. Oh yeah, your research, stay there. Your annual giving, stay there. Your plan giving, you want to transition. No, you're good at your job, stay there, but you want to do something different. So to me, the 12 week program, that is the key takeaway from everything that we've said here and how intentional it is and how it really answers the questions that we have about the next. Let's talk about that and two key takeaways that you want the listeners and some who may watch at some point to know about what we're doing here as Wiley Education Services 
and why that is a model for them to consider as they're working to create a pipeline for talent to grow within advancement. So I think two things, and it doesn't have to be a 12-week program. It could be a six-week program. It could be a 10-month program over shorter periods of time. For instance, we do a program with Amazon Canada where Amazon Canada wants to train their warehouse and logistics people to be able to get better jobs other than just breaking their back, moving packages all day. So we provide a 10-month program where they can get into software development. It's at a pace that makes sense for them. And after that 12-month program, now they can apply for different jobs within Amazon or outside of Amazon that are taking them away from this sort of high, hard, labor-intensive, work-intensive, back-breaking work that, you know, that they can see a breakthrough. Hey, I can get to do something else with my, with my career and give me the opportunity. So being able to do that, I think it's key is to understand that this ability to bring people from various pathways, from various access points, and get them ready for great jobs with the right skills that are going to make them relevant is possible to do, and it's possible to do in a finite amount of time if you really understand how to get those people ready and what are the, what is it that the employer really, really wants them to know on day one and match that up and just focus on getting them ready for that. The second thing I would say is they need to understand that this generation coming in now is different. It's just different. They've been, they're digital natives, right? They're yeah. used to technology. They're not worried. You know, they understand all they're, they're on TikTok learning stuff. And yeah. Talk videos. to me on TikTok. Yeah. I'm not, they're not interested in boring me with five, 10, eight hour lectures all day. That's why we've sort of flipped the classroom and do this stand up and do engaging things and, it's not about the, the, the faculty pontificating to the student. It's about the faculty nurturing and facilitating experiences for these students so they understand how to apply all this knowledge and skills and abilities in the workforce. They're not going to they're not going to accept the old traditional just talk at me, lecture me in a in a room full of 350 people and bore me with notes for the rest of the day. That's not going to work. No, it's not going to work at all. It's not going to work. So. The last thing here is in terms of creating these programs, you know, working, uh, you know, with a partner like Wiley, I mean, you're, you, from a publishing perspective, the company already works with higher education up and down. I mean, you know, 80, you know, from publishing and, and other means. So if I'm here, vice president X, Y, and Z for University of West Tennessee Foundation, I'm just making this up and I want to create a program that can help retrain some folks that I have to pursue pursue different roles or create a path for recent grads that want to come in that don't have the experience and use this model to, to help the sort of grow my time pipeline. Uh, is this something that is scalable that, you know, I know you can't speak for the company about, you know, a new business line of business, but I'm just thinking, this is something that we can scale, right? We can we can look at this model and work in and work with with you and say, hey, this is what we're looking for. Help us adapt that model to what we're doing. But yeah, we we've tripled the number of employers that are adopting this model over the last year. So once they understand it and they understand the organizational aspects of how to get it done, they love it and they embrace it and they want it and they and they integrate it in. 
So it is a scalable model. You know, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm sure you can provide them my uh, email address or whatever to, to get in contact with me. And I will vector them to the right people in the right country, in the right region, in the right, right. Like, whatever it is that they need to, to at least have a conversation around how do we get this higher trained deploy model really rolled out and how do we get this upskilling, reskilling model integrated into existing workforces in a manner that's efficient, that's effective, and it's not going to be this sort of, you know, long taking, long drawn out sort of, you know, uh, initiative. It's compact, it's efficient, it's ready to roll, and it can be done for any industry, for any organization. People just have to sort of want to embrace and open their mind to this different model. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, one of the challenges that uh, we've had is institutions that have, and, and NGOs that have the resources they can build their own programs, you know, year-long training programs or whatever. But the bulk of institutions out there in higher learning don't have the budgets to be right. able to to be able to do something in-house. So I see an opportunity in creating a model that is cost-effective that can be deployed regardless of you know the your, your, your pocketbook, you know, per se. You'll get the same basic skill set that is needed to advance and for you to prepare your, your future uh, workforce. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And, and, you know, as I was thinking about having you on, I said, man, I know, I know that we can take lessons from what's happening with the Wiley Edge Academy and the work that you're doing and really help our industry in institutional advancement and nonprofit, what have you, to be better, be better at keeping our talent and be better at nurturing the future talent because again the demand for people that do what we do is greater than supply so if we yep. can reskill upskill people that we already have then by golly we're doing a great service for the entire industry so i i, re- I really appreciate that because that conversation and great to have you here today well i appreciate having me and glad to come back anytime and continue the conversations and it's a constantly evolving dynamic, right? Yes. So, you know, three months from now, six months from now, we'll be able to be talking about new and interesting topics and evolutions and derivatives and how things have changed and fine-tuning this and how this worked out better. So anytime, glad to have a conversation. Always enjoy talking with you and uh, glad to have been on the program today. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm Kim Nioni. Thanks for tuning in to Mentorship Matters. We'll see you soon.